Well, that seems a little strange to be back in the pulpit after not being here for two weeks. Dr. Seals two weeks ago and then being out of town last week and Scott preaching. And I appreciate them taking care of that while away. Um, we had, uh, Scott is today and, and Todd and Mary Lou Priddle are with a group of our college students at Passion uh, down in Atlanta and uh, pray for them. It's a great time of worship and celebration and, and learning and uh, they'll be hearing from some great men of God and uh, studying in some breakout sessions so continue to lift them up in your prayers. Uh, today we're on a, a topical message which is kind of unusual but today we're going to be looking at just one psalm and Lord willing next Sunday we'll beginning, be beginning the study in the book of Hebrews that will take us through most of uh, 2010 and maybe even part of 2011 or maybe even 12 who knows but uh, we will start Hebrews Lord willing next week that is if I can speak next week uh, many of you have asked me questions and commented that you know and uh, that a group of families in our church has been very generous and uh, has made it available for Red and I to leave uh, this week and go to the uh, this little football game out in Pasadena, California on uh, Thursday. So uh, we're going to go out and see the Tide beat the Longhorns, and uh, at least I hope, and uh, I may yell just a little bit, and so I may, well, I'll be able to preach next Sunday, I'll be able to, but pray for us as we go, and thank you. I have no idea who did this uh, at all, but I am so thankful for that generosity and that ability to be able to do that as a lifelong Crimson Tide fan, it, it kind of makes my life now to be able to say I've gone to the national championship game. It'll be fun. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. As we look at what is known as one of the Psalms of Ascent. Now there are 15 Psalms of Ascent, and I'm picking one that's right here toward the end of them. Uh, and, and we could have chosen any one really to have been a good Psalm to talk about and think about at the beginning of the new year. I, I entitled this sermon as I was looking at Psalm 31, The Peace of God in, Turb in a Turbulent 2010. Now when Scott saw that on one day this last week when we printed the bulletins, he came in and he said, uh, do, you have, do, do you know something we don't know? And uh, are you somehow becoming a, a prophet or a prophetic in your ministry here that you're going to tell us about 2000? No, I just know how things were in 2009. And so I've got a feeling they're not going to be a whole lot different, at least for a while, in 2010. We've seen turbulence. Uh, we've seen economic decline. We've seen policy decline. We've seen a, a health care bill debated for a very short period of time. And, and the argument, well, are we going to allow our tax dollars to, to kill babies? Are we going to allow our tax dollars uh, to, to commit abortions and pay for abortions on a regular basis? And one bill goes in and says, passes an amendment and says, absolutely no, we won't do it in the House. Then the Senate comes along and they say, well, we got to have that. you got to be able to, to give the woman the right to have an abortion. And if she's got the right to have an abortion, we've got to let the government help her to, to succeed in getting that. And so you've got turbulence even in our nation. You've got policy decisions nationally and internationally that are frightening in these days. And if you read the news at all or watch the news on television at all, you've got to have just a little bit of, of concern and a little bit of fear even over the turbulence of our situation both nationally and internationally there's no way to avoid that and it's real easy if you're not careful to get so caught up in it that you are sucked into a, a cycle of fear to where you can't even hardly function I gotta be honest with you I'm a news junkie you know that 
I'm a political junkie. I love politics. have all my life. But I've gotten to a point now where I can stand to watch the national news about one day a week. And I watch it, see what's going on, and, and hear all the commentary. And then I just have to put it aside, pretty much, and, and watch something inane and, and mindless to get my mind off of it. And then the next week, when I come back to watch it for another day, they're still talking about the same stuff in the same vein that they were a week earlier. So I hadn't lost anything, I hadn't missed anything to speak of, probably. But the truth is, this current situation, the current atmosphere, the current problems of our world and our nation are frightful if you focus just on them. And if you think that it's all about you, if you think it's all about what I can get out of life and how I can, how I can really uh, have an ambition that will strive and reach everything I want for my life every day, if I can just kind of be so self-absorbed, so self-sufficient, and, and so self-centered that it's all about me, it's a time when you be very frightened. I was amazed at some of the songs that we sang this morning. Focusing on the cross, focusing on the holiness of God. Because in the final analysis, folks, those are the only two things that matter in life. As we face turbulent times, that turbulence is on a temporal level, and it will affect us one way or another, generally right now negatively. It will affect us in some ways, but if we focus on that and dwell on that and concentrate on that, we'll become basket cases. Our focus must be beyond the circumstances. Our focus must be beyond what is going on in the world and recognize and acknowledge as we profess we believe that we serve and we worship a sovereign God who is even in control of the downturns and who has not forgotten us and has not forsaken us and will not leave us. The songs of ascent that you find in the book of Psalms, those 15 psalms that go, I think, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 are psalms that the Jewish pilgrims sang as they were going up to Jerusalem from wherever they were as they were going there for special days of worship especially the day of atonement as they would journey back to Jerusalem and they would prepare themselves <coughs> excuse me for worship in the temple these were the songs these were the psalms that they sang they start out kind of interesting. They start out in, in Psalm 120 with a cry of a prayer for deliverance from the treacherous. They start out by talking about that there are those who are out to get me. There are those who are out to destroy me. Lord, I pray that you'll deliver me from them. They, they continue talking about the Lord being the keeper of Israel and, and praying for the peace of Jerusalem and prayer for the Lord's help in difficult times and praise for rescue from enemies and uh, talking about the Lord surrounding his people and thanksgiving that they've been returned from captivity and prosperity that comes from the Lord and the Lord only and then this fear of the Lord and prayer for the overflow of Israel's enemies and right on down to you get to the point of hope for forgiving love and then you come to verse uh, to Psalm 131 that we're going to look at briefly this morning and he talks about a trust in the Lord that is childlike a trust in the Lord in the midst of turbulence and in the midst of difficulties that is like a child who knows his mother and knows that his mother cares for him or her. Listen to the words of this psalm, Psalm 131. One of the shortest that you'll find in the book of Psalms. Only three verses. It says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty or arrogant. 
nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord <coughs> Excuse me. from this time forth and forever. O Israel, O people of God, O church of Jesus Christ, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We must understand that Israel here is speaking of the people of God. Not just national Israel, not just a, a people, <coughs> excuse me, in David's day, who was living in that land. But he's talking about the universal church of God, the people of God throughout all of time now that have come in our day in faith in Jesus Christ to become what Paul calls in Galatians the Israel of God, the new Israel, the new people of God, brought together by God's grace and by God's power to be his people in this world in which we live. Paul, uh, David writes here with, a, with an unbelievable confidence. <coughs> You're going to have to forgive me. This is one of those times of the year. And I haven't even started yelling yet. He talks with a, with a childlike confidence, a childlike trust in God. He starts out in verse 1 by talking about, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty or arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things that are too difficult for me. Now, it's real easy to look at that <coughs> and say that David is saying, Listen, if you can't understand it, just pass it on by. If you can't understand it, don't deal with it. Just don't worry about it. Just keep looking beyond that. It's almost like if you read that and don't think about it and ponder exactly what he's really saying, it's almost like he's saying, listen, if you can't understand it, if it's too difficult, <coughs> if it's causing you problems in understanding, then, then don't think about it. Now for me, as a pastor who is concerned about theological matters and concerned that you be theologically understanding, uh, that's a scary thought. <coughs> I would never say to you, Listen, you come to some of the Bible you don't understand, just don't worry about it. Just pass it on by. Don't try to understand it. Then you'd never try to understand the great depths and truths of the Trinity because you'll never understand those completely. You'll never try to understand the great depths of God's sovereignty and God's oversight and God's providence of this world because there's no way we can adequately and fully ever understand that. But I think what David is saying here is much of what he said in Psalm 139 in one particular verse which has become one of my favorites in that psalm and that is verse 6 after he's talked about how God has searched him and known him and watches him when he gets up and he goes to bed and when he goes out and when he comes in and, and he's everywhere, he's surrounding him, he's caring for them and in verse 6 he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is too high, I cannot attain to it. It's not that David says, I'm not going to think about it. It's not that David says, I'm not going to meditate on it and try to gain a deeper understanding of it. He just simply says, those things <coughs> are so great that they just cause me to fall in your presence and worship you. It's too great. It's too mighty. It's too wonderful. It's too beautiful. I don't grasp it, but I know, Lord, because you have revealed it and because you have said it, it is absolute truth. 
and I bow before you and I worship you because of it. Now David here talks about these things that are difficult. Not involving themselves in great matters. But the key to this is understanding what he's saying in the first part of that verse. When he says, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty or arrogant. Both of those kind of go together. Pride is an, an, a situation or a circumstance of life in the heart where you look down on people, where you think you're better, where you think you deserve more. And arrogance or haughtiness is lifting the head high and demonstrating that and living it out. You know, you can be prideful very quietly. You can be prideful and yet on Sunday act very, very humble. But yet the rest of your life be driven by self-service and by self-sufficiency. And you find yourself a very prideful person, but you can mask it sometimes. Haughtiness or arrogance is unmasked pride. It, it's demonstrated in every area of life. Living as though life is made for you. As though everything that is really important revolves around and is associated in one way or another with you. <coughs> now David makes a very bold statement here. He says, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. Why is that? The, why would he say that? I mean, we know that David has every reason in life to perhaps be proud. He's king. He, he has experienced the great blessings of God in so many ways. And yet here he says in this song of ascent that he writes, my heart's not proud. My eyes are not haughty. That is the experience of a person who has been touched by the grace of God. You see, pride is a natural part of our nature. It's a part of our nature. Pride is what affected the fall and it's what we inherit in the fall that, that's one of the, the, the negative things that is brought to us by being who we are as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve <coughs> we are prideful people from birth look at a little baby a little baby believes that everything is about them don't they you've ever had a child you know that when a child wants to eat they let you know that and they let you know that very effectively. When a child's diaper is dirty or wet, they don't sit around and say, or have the attitude of mom whenever you can get to it. I know you're busy. Just take care of me when you can. They immediately let you know that now is the time I want this diaper dealt with, no questions asked. I mean, I mean that's just the way it is. <coughs> we are prideful people from our birth. But when the grace of God gets a hold of our life, when the grace of God changes us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that all changes. Our, our pride is our pride is, is defeated somewhat. Not completely in this life. But there's a new outlook. There's a new perspective. And that's what David is expressing here. I, I love the song we sang this morning, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And I, I had to go and get it off the piano before I came up here. I, I love the way verse 1 says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Now, of course, that's just Isaac Watts reflecting on what the Apostle Paul said in the passage that Ricky read this morning, that Jeff was going to read, but that Ricky read, 
that talks about everything that I had, all things that I had, all religious accomplishments that I had, all power that I had, all authority that I had, everything that I had when I came to know Christ it came as filthy rags. It came as nothing. <coughs> they, they just had no value anymore. He said, I, I recognize my richest gain I count but loss, but this is the phrase that just blows my mind from Watts and pour contempt on all my pride. Do you have contempt for any smidgen of pride in your life? When pride wears up its ugly head, as it does in all of us, do, do you just find that contemptible? <coughs> do you find that to be something that is really not admirable that is really not desirable on a, on a consistent basis in your life what says I, I pour contempt on all my pride I, I hate it I despise it I can't stand it because I've seen the things of Christ in my life I've had the power of Christ in my life and I've had the joy of walking in fellowship with Christ in my life and there's just no place for pride you see when we're proud we argue with God when we're proud we question God when we're proud we think Lord <coughs> and by the way our, our prayer life many times belay, uh, it demonstrates this we, we find ourselves saying, Lord, you know, if, if things were this way and not the way they are, it'd be better. Lord, I know better what is for my life than you do. And our prayers show that we pray many times, Lord, what you're doing is just not working the way I want it. And, and David says, I can't pray that way any longer. I can't approach God that way any longer. My pride is gone. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Lord, I don't involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. He's not saying I don't think about the deep things of God. He's not saying I don't think about things that I can't fully understand. He's saying I'm not going to let those trouble me. I'm not, not going to let those things be a source of worry for me. Again, you can parallel what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 when he said, you know, pray without ceasing. Pray always in everything by prayer and supplication, be let your, let your request be made known unto God. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Go before God, but seek His grace and seek His provision in the midst of the circumstance. Not trying to convince Him how to change the circumstance. That's the, that's the glory of what... David is talking about here and they sang this as they went up facing the day of atonement thinking about the atonement of God thinking about the forgiveness of God they sang this hymn that David wrote this psalm that David wrote I will not let my heart be proud I will not let my eyes be haughty why? well verse 2 gives us that it shows the change of heart he said surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rest against his mother my soul is like a weaned child within me. Again, 
paralleling what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.11 when he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I've learned the gift of contentment. I've learned the, the joy of contentment. Pride is never satisfied. Pride always wants it to be different. Pride always drives to make a change that's better for me. Paul said, I want you to know that in the midst of this life, in things that I cannot change, in things that I cannot understand, I want you to know I have learned the, commit, uh, the contentment that comes from walking with my Lord. I've learned the contentment that comes from walking with God. That doesn't come easy. That doesn't come without a, a, a mighty work of God within a person's life because we are naturally discontented people and we are bombarded with encouragements to be discontent. If you watch television and you watch the commercials in between whatever you're watching, shows do this enough, but the commercials really pour it on. Every commercial is designed to tell you that you deserve more. That you ought not be content with what you have. That, that if, if you're really going to arrive in this life, you've got to have this product or that product or drive this car or, or, or do whatever. But it all drives to our pride to try to fill it up and make us prideful people. Make us discontent. Make us want more. And make us think that God just isn't being fair to us. We're not getting more. David said, I'm like a weaned child. A weaned child that is satisfied, that has been nursing at its mother's breast, and now it is weaned away and it's satisfied. It is content with how God has provided, and how God has ministered, and how God has cared for him. In that same song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and that second verse he said forbid it Lord that I should boast except in the death of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood you ever thought about the things that charm you that bewitch you that tempt you to just get a little bit discontent in Christ I sacrifice those to the blood of Christ. When something charms me, when something seeks to lead me astray from just my absolute total dependence on Jesus Christ, I just sacrifice those to the blood of Christ. I say, Lord, you died to save me from that kind of vanity. You died to save me from that kind of pride. And, and I'm like a, I want to be like a weaned child. I want to be a satisfied, contented child, leaning on its mother, knowing that there with its mother it is content and it is secure and it is saved and it is protected from every storm of life. And that's really what David is saying to you and me as we face a turbulent 2010. But then he gives the key to it in verse 3. And I want you to hear this clearly. O oh, Israel. But I want to read that. O oh, people of God. O oh, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, those who are really and truly born again. Hear this word. Hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forever. Now, that sounds real simple, doesn't it? Just hope in the Lord. Hope that with a knowledge that someday when you die, you'll be in heaven with Him. Okay, that's good. But what does that do for right now? I mean, there are many of us who you know, live in this in-between time, between coming to know Christ and, and going to be in His presence for all of eternity. <clears throat> and we have to deal with that now. How does the hope of God, how does our hope in the Lord, how does our hope in Christ affect how we live today? That's what David is saying must take place. He's saying, I'm not going to worry about things I can't control. Things that are too difficult, great matters that I have no control over. I'm not going to worry about that. Because my trust is not in it. I'm not going to worry about what the stock market's doing. I'm not going to worry about the whole economic situation. Now, it may affect me. It has affected me. It's affected you. And it will continue to affect us in one way or another on this on this temporal level that we live in here on earth but we know who is over all of that we know that he's promised to protect us and promised to secure us and promised to protect us maybe not in the comfort may not in the way that that we want him to or think he ought to but but in the ultimate matter he is going to care for us and protect us I was reading this last week a, a psalm uh, or a sermon by uh, Charles Spurgeon on this psalm out of his treasure of David and, and I found this quite interesting this quote from that sermon when he was talking about when we are so worried about circumstances we can't control so worried about getting the provision for our own life this is what he said Spurgeon said you are meddling with Christ's business and neglecting your own when you fret about your lot and circumstances, you have been trying providing work and forgetting that it is yours to obey. Be wise and attend to the obeying and let Christ manage the providing. Come and survey your father's storehouse and ask whether he will let you starve while he has laid up so great an abundance in his garner look at his heart of mercy see if that can ever prove unkind look at his inscrutable wisdom and see if that will ever be at fault above all look up to Jesus Christ your intercessor and ask yourself while he pleads can your father deal ungraciously with you if he remembers even sparrows, will he forget one of the least of his poor children? Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never suffer. And the word suffer there means allow. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. He'll never allow the righteous to be moved. Again, the Apostle Paul, in speaking in 
Philippians 3. He said, I'm giving up on this righteousness that is a false righteousness. I'm giving up on this self-righteousness that comes by what I think I can do to be righteous. And I'm putting my trust in the righteousness and I'm receiving the righteousness, the imputed righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. Comes from God by faith in Christ alone. I want to be righteous not in a sense where I'm self-righteous and a self-made man. I want to be righteous in the sense that my heart has been changed. My life has been revolutionized. My spirit has been totally stripped and rebuilt by the Lord Jesus Christ I want to be I want to be in that righteousness that took place as the great exchange on the cross where he took on himself my sin he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf and then gave me his righteousness so that I who have no righteousness at all might become the very righteousness of God Do you see what David is saying? Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying you've got to pour contempt on all your pride. You've got you've to flee those vain things that charm, charm you most and, and, and put them over to the, to the cross, to the blood, to the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to recognize that there's some things you can't change. Some things you can't manipulate got to come to a point of realizing that you are not independent but you are vitally dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ you know we live in such a such a freewheeling free freedom loving nation and we brag about and I'm happy about our declaration of independence that was signed back hundreds of years ago but remember that declaration of independence was a declaration of independence from a tyrant not from God Almighty and we live sometimes in our world today and in our country today as though our independence goes to every area, to every sphere, to every scope. But in reality, we are, as believers, we are, as disciples of Jesus Christ, the most dependent people in all the world. And we don't want to be dependent on government. We don't want to be dependent on on other people in a manner of speaking although if times come when they're rough we we do depend on our brothers and sisters to help us through it financially and emotionally in every other way but our ultimate and our full and our right dependence is upon the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what David is saying in Psalm 131 that's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3 and 4 he's saying, when he says I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in he said I can be content in poverty I can be content in riches because neither of those really matter what really matters is my relationship with my Lord what really matters is that I am looking beyond things I can't understand I'm looking beyond things that are bigger than me that I can't control and I'm trusting in Him that how He handles it and how He does it is right. May not be the most comfortable for me. May not be the most temporarily satisfying to me. But it's right. And my faith and my hope and my trust is in Him. 
You know, it's amazing how Psalm 131 just sort of fulfills Psalm 130. In verses 1 and 2, David says there, I, I, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications, to my prayers. And he's praying fervently for the Lord's forgiving love. In, verse one, in chapter 131, Psalm 131, it just appears that he experiences it. I experience your forgiveness. I experience your presence. I experience your provision. In the midst of all that, I experience your contentment. I'm like a child who is satisfied by his mother. Oh Lord, make us that way. Make us like children who have been satisfied by our Heavenly Father in ways that we cannot imagine. As we face 2010, whatever it brings, war and rumors of war, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, many dangers, toils and snares, through which we've already come, we know that it's the grace of God that brought us here, and it's the grace of God that will bring us through it as we put our hope, as we put our trust in Him. See, that's very practical, folks. That's not some pious platitude. This oh, just hope in the Lord. Just have faith in the Lord. It's not a pious platitude. It's a practical reality. We come into His presence. We say, Lord, not for you. I wouldn't be here. I'm, I'm not who I used to be because of your grace. I'm not who I used to be because of your work in my life. And if you are not here, could not endure. Lord, as I face this new year, as I face everything that will be coming our way, without you, O oh Lord, without your strength, without your presence, then I don't want to go forward. You are what I need. You are what I must have. Your presence and reality must permeate my being everything is for naught there are things I can't change and I'm not going to fret over those I'm going to just trust and hope in you let's pray <clears throat> Father as we face a turbulent 2010 as we face whatever comes our way may we know your peace in the midst of all of it may we know your presence in ways that we've never experienced before because you are placing your right hand on our shoulder and saying my child I'm here with you You'll never go through it alone. Father, oh Father, grant us your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment.